Well, we have the joy and opportunity to open God's Word as we study together. So if you would turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Now, this will be the place where we will exposit the truth of God's Word this morning. And as you are turning there, let me just say that one of the very meaningful facets of the New Testament, particularly the New Testament letters, is to see how present-day Christians, that's us, of course, can practically benefit from the statements of someone like the Apostle Paul, which admittedly are statements that he wrote and in some sense were confined to the details of his first century context. We, we know that. We affirm that. Uh, this is to say that when the New Testament writer is addressing an issue or a circumstance in his own time and place, like Paul, such a situation can still be of great value, tremendous value to us as 21st century Christians. Let me show you what I mean. If you are there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, you have the definite sense that while Paul is certainly addressing a specific situation with the believers in Thessalonica, the words that he writes have great spiritual value, spiritual implications for us, not just to those to whom he originally wrote. Let me show you how I myself would approach the reading of these words from Paul in verses 1 to 8 of 1 Thessalonians 3. You follow along as I read these verses of Holy Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the Word of God says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason... When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. This is a very, very important portion of Scripture, as, of course, all Scripture is. But this particularly to show what I talked about at the very beginning, and that is, yes, of course, Paul was dealing with something regarding the Thessalonian believers, uh, their receptivity to him, his coming to them, distresses and afflictions, 
uh, it's a first century phenomenon. It's a, it's a problem. It's an issue. Uh, there was a great hostility to the gospel of Christ. And, and that's what Paul was dealing with. And that's why he was writing the Thessalonians. But you and I don't need to bend to some prevailing winds that say something like this. Well, what happened to Paul in the first century doesn't apply to us. Uh, there aren't any particular implications for us, or so it seems. So it's important for those to whom Paul originally wrote, but is it really important for us? Uh, can it really apply to us? Well, the answer to that question is obviously yes, it can and does apply to us. Of course, the first century Christians, these Thessalonican believers uh, to whom Paul writes these letters, uh, First and Second Thessalonians, uh, they are most appreciative and most receptive to Paul. And yes, of course, uh, they were the ones who originally received these letters and they were read in their church. And it was, of course, Holy Scripture to them because Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But the very first thing that you have to recognize uh, in these words as a 21st century believer is a unique set of circumstances in which Paul finds himself are actually encouragements to us to find out how these verses apply to us in our own context. They can apply. They do apply. There are unique circumstances, even in our own day, in which we have to determine what, what did Paul mean then and how can we apply it to ourselves now. What you and I must do is to take these unique circumstances of this Holy Spirit-inspired first century letter and see what are the clear implications which could spiritually assist us, even in our own day, today, even in our own unique life context. And uh, for myself, as I study the Word of God and, and teach the Word of God to you, I'm always reading these words of Holy Scripture knowing they're in a first century context and unique and individual circumstances, uh, a context which might not always apply uh, as we would readily see these words off the page in ways we can easily understand and easily see the implications for us. But I want you to know, if you read these words over and over again, all of these words of the New Testament letters, I think you can see implications abounding all over the pages of Scripture. Seems to me to be, at times, very, very clear. Uh, there are other times, of course, where you're going to have to do a lot more work to see what those implications are for us as believers in the 21st century. But clearly, this is not one of those. This passage is so clear. It's so applicable to where we are in the 21st century. And if you would allow me, I would see four clear implications for this passage of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 to 8, about how we can, even in the 21st century, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. Where, where do I find that? Well, look at verse 8. You can see it in 1 Thessalonians 3, 8, that very phrase. For we now live, Paul says, if you, that's of course in our first century context, the Thessalonians, uh, but in our own 21st century, it's ourselves. If you 
That means us are standing fast in the Lord. Don't you love that phrase? Standing fast. Persevering. Uh, Standing strong. Uh, Fast. Holding on. I see four ways that that particular phrase, which I think really brings out the essence of what this passage means to us, that phrase, standing fast in the Lord. I see four clear implications from verses 1 to 8 uh, that I'll give to you right now. Now, uh, they will be given to you as I continue to go through this message. Uh, You can uh, write them down as I go through them later. I'm going to do it really, really fast here. Uh, But here are those four implications. Number one, standing fast in the Lord requires the strength and encouragement of others. That's what verses 1 and 2 tell us. Standing fast in the Lord requires, that's a key verb there, requires the strength and encouragement of others. That is, to stand fast, you, you require, I require, strength and encouragement from others. Number two, standing fast in the Lord recognizes the sovereignty of God in and through our afflictions. That's what we find as a clear implication of this passage in verses 3 and 4. Standing fast in the Lord requires the sovereignty of God, excuse me, recognizes the sovereignty of God in and through our afflictions. Number three, standing fast in the Lord remembers that satanic temptations are, dis- are designed to destroy your faith. Yes, that's true. Standing fast in the Lord never forgets, always remembers that satanic temptations are designed to destroy our faith. That's clearly the implication of what Paul says here in verse 5. And then fourthly, standing fast in the Lord refreshes the souls of fellow believers who are comforted by our perseverance. In other words, when they look at us and they see us persevering, they are comforted by such a look And it then refreshes us to stand fast in the Lord. If you were listening carefully, uh, you saw these uh, verbal ideas, all starting with uh, the letter R. Standing fast in the Lord requires. Standing fast in the Lord recognizes. Standing fast in the Lord remembers. And standing fast in the Lord refreshes. And I'm going to go through these, and I trust you'll be greatly encouraged Because you can see a kind of hermeneutic, a kind of way to interpret this passage first in its own context, in its first century meaning, uh, in the circumstance in which Paul was talking to these Thessalonians by way of this letter, but then also in a hermeneutic of implication. How, How do you apply these things? What are the implications for us in the 21st century? And I think it's very, very clear. And this is the way to do Bible study. This is the way to read, read for comprehension, uh, read so as to apply uh, as you are an individual Christian and you're at home and you're reading your own Bible and you're trying to determine what is the meaning uh, of this particular Bible passage. Perhaps you're reading through First Thessalonians and you come to chapter 3 and you're reading verses 1 to 8 and you ask your, your, yourself the question, well, it appears as though something was going on that Paul needed to encourage these believers to understand and affirm, uh, but how does that apply to me? Well, what are the implications here? Well, let me show you how you can do this. And this is sort of not only a, a message about the meaning of 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 1 to 8, 
but it's a way that you and I can grasp the Bible in our own everyday peculiarity, our everyday context, and we can apply these things to our lives. And anybody can do this, not just the preacher, not just the pastor who studies in order to preach a sermon. This is what all of you can do. And as I said, I take this phrase of Paul's in verse 8, which is the concluding verse of this first section of of chapter 3, standing fast in the Lord. And I think it could actually serve us as the theme of the whole chapter, really, uh, perhaps even of the entire letter. Maybe the entire letter of 1 Thessalonians, including even 2 Thessalonians, is in a sense our way of understanding how to stand fast in the Lord. That is to say, Christian believers who are standing fast in the Lord is all about the perseverance of the saints. That's really what we're talking about today, the perseverance of the saints. But it's, of course, not just about perseverance. It's about the implications even of the doctrine of perseverance. You see that standing fast in the Lord is also about many other aspects of the Christian life, including uh, what Paul speaks of here even in this passage, including strength and encouragement about the sovereignty of God in and through trials, uh, afflictions, uh, various distresses throughout our Christian lives. It's uh, all about uh, perseverance in the midst of satanic temptations, uh, which the evil one uses uh, to try to destroy us uh, spiritually and even eternally, if he could. And and this is also about a passage uh, regarding how perseverance refreshes and comforts fellow believers who are flagging in their faith, who, who are uh, distraught and concerned, and and they don't need to become embittered by their suffering and their afflictions. This is about all of that. So let's dig into this. Let's look at uh, these four points, these four implications of standing fast in the Lord. Let's take the first one there in verses 1 and 2. As I mentioned to you, uh, the principle is this, standing fast in the Lord requires, that's that key word, requires the strength and encouragement of others. Notice what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning there with verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left at Athens alone, Paul writes, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Now stop there. Just just those first two verses for the moment. They explicitly, I think, teach that Paul is communicating to these believers in Thessalonica, the primary addressees of this text, but it's also by implication for us as well. Now, if you've been with us for uh, any time and you have been studying with us through 1 Thessalonians, you know that we've already taught at the end of chapter 2, verses uh, 13 to 20, that Paul thanks God for these believers, these Thessalonians, because they were examples of steadfastness in the midst of suffering for the cause of Christ. And if you heard our very last message on that portion, uh, verses 14 to 20 particularly, you know I spent a great deal of time talking about Paul's commendation of these Christians in the Macedonian region of the first century and how Paul uh, was encouraged by them, and that he continues to implore them uh, to endure. 
And this is clearly what verses 17 to 20 of chapter 2 is saying. Do you remember uh, last time how we studied this particular section, the very last part? It says in verse 17 of chapter 2, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, torn away in the sense that uh, they were pulled away almost physically uh, because of the persecution, because of the suffering, uh, because of the tremendous volatility and hostility of the time. They were torn away from these Thessalonians. And he says there in verse 17, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, he says in verse 18. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. And he says in verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So Paul is wanting to encourage them. He says, I thank God consistently or constantly for you, according to verse 13. And then now notice, coming right out of verses 17 to 20, He uses that first word in our English text of the ESV translation of the Bible, therefore, in chapter 3, verse 1, therefore. So it's clearly linked. It's linked with what has gone before. And here's what he says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, that is, when we could bear not seeing you any longer, and not just not seeing you, but not hearing from you a report of how you're doing spiritually. When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy. And would you please notice how Paul describes Timothy? This is, this is an incredible attestation and a commendation of this dear brother in the Lord. He says, our brother, that means the brother to you and me, the brother to you, the Thessalonian believers, and to me, Paul. And then he says, and God's co-worker. Your translation may say fellow worker. How would you like to be commended as being known uh, by others as God's co-worker? God has you on his side. You're assisting the Lord God of the universe. What a what a great commendation. And, and what kind of work? The Bible says here, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. In the gospel of Christ. And for what purpose? Notice what the end of verse 2 says. To, or in order to, or for the purpose to establish and exhort you in your faith. Oh, don't miss that, my friends. When I read that verse over and over and over again, seeing that Paul is saying that he's so concerned about these Thessalonians, so concerned about all that they're going through, all their afflictions, all of the persecution, all the suffering that they're undergoing. And he says, when I didn't hear uh, about how you're doing in light of all of those things, we had to even be bereft ourselves of being left in Athens alone because we we sent Timothy. We wanted Timothy here, but because we were so concerned about you, uh, we were willing to be bereft, to be left of Timothy so that he could be sent to you by us 
because he's such a faithful worker in the gospel of Christ. And here's the point, here's the plan, here's the reason we sent him to establish and exhort you in your faith. You see the clear implication of this teaching for us? It should be clear to all of us. The clear fact of the matter is throughout not merely this one text of Scripture, but from many, many other texts of Holy Scripture, standing fast in the Lord requires the strength and encouragement of other Christians. Isn't that clear from what it says here? We sent this brother Timothy so that you, the Thessalonian believers, could be established or strengthened, your translation may say, and exhort you in your faith. That's, that's the first and formal way that Paul says you can be standing fast in the Lord by being encouraged by other Christians. This is key. This is foundational. This is fundamental. Paul desperately wanted to come and see these believers, as I have said, in order to strengthen and encourage them. But he couldn't. Satan had been hindering him. We don't know what the, these hindrances were, uh, how Satan did this. But when Paul couldn't be there, he's even willing to give up his son in the faith, Timothy, to come to be with them, to get a word from them. This brother of ours, this co-worker in the gospel of Christ. And I see here to do two specific things for the Thessalonians. This is, this is exactly how you can stand fast in the Lord in this uh, sense of being required, this strength and encouragement of other Christ, uh, Christians. And here it is, to establish you or to strengthen you. That's the first one. And then secondly, to exhort you in the faith. You see those things? They're very clear. One, to establish or to strengthen fellow believers, and secondly, to exhort them in their faith. This is clear for the 21st century as it's clear from the 1st century and all the centuries in between, for that matter. We need the strength and encouragement of others. Of course we do. We desperately need it. We need the establishment, that's the laying of the right kind of foundation, and we need the ongoing strengthening by other believers of our faith. This is what individual believers need, and it's certainly what the whole church collectively needs as a continual exhortation to persevere. To persevere. You say, where did you get that? From verse 8 standing fast in the Lord. We're exhorted to be manifestly standing fast in the Lord. Every single Christian needs that in every single Christian church, and all Christian churches need that collectively. They need strengthening. They need establishing, as well as continual exhortation to persevere, to stand fast in the Lord. In fact, if you look, it over, look over at chapter 4, verse 1, notice what Paul writes there. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, there's that exhortation. This is how you walk and please God, just as you are doing, 
that you do so more and more. Your Bible translation may say, to excel still more. You hear that exhortation? That's for all of us. It's for me. It's for you. For Bethany Bible Church. It's for all effective local churches. We need to stand fast in the Lord by constant strengthening, by a kind of establishing that not only establishes us in the faith at the very first part of our believing in Christ, but also throughout our Christian lives, and to exhort us to stand fast in the Lord, to bolster and strengthen our faith. This is, this is the exhortation. You know, there's another passage that I thought of in this regard in 1 Peter chapter 5, and it sounds very much like chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians verses 1 to 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, it's almost as though all the elements that Paul is mentioning to, to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 3 is exactly what Peter is saying to those dispersed Christians to whom he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5. In the very first verse, he says, so I exhort, there's that exhortation. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Of course, this is to the elders, but this is the way the elders shepherd the flock, and this is the way flocks are encouraged, strengthened. And then as you continue to read through chapter 5, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil. And there's a mention of the devil. Uh, the devil is mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Satan hindered us. He'll be mentioned again as we get to it this morning. He's mentioned here in 1 Peter pop, uh, chapter 5. The devil prowls around 1 Peter 5, 8 like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But Peter says, resist him. Firm in your faith. That's tantamount to saying standing fast in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering, and there's a reference to suffering, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, listen to this, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You hear those words? Strengthen. Oh, that's, a, that's a word in our text. To establish, that's a word in our text. This is, this is how you and I stand firm in the Lord, through the strength and encouragement or exhortation of others. That's why you need to be regularly in the fellowship. That's why you need to be doing all that you can to pray for and strengthen and exhort fellow believers, standing fast in the Lord requires strength and encouragement for others. That's why God has given us the body of Christ. That's why God has given us the local church, the manifest glory of His strength and encouragement through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, and through the people of God. That's why we say it's, it's the Word of God, it's the Spirit of God, and it's the people of God who strengthen and encourage us so as to persevere in the faith to grow and be strengthened in our faith. So let me ask you regarding this uh, 
first implication of the text of 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2. In what ways are you seeking to establish or strengthen and exhort others? You have to realize this is a requirement. This is what God requires of His people to strengthen and establish and to exhort others around them. You say, well, what about me? Well, just as you are strengthening and encouraging and exhorting others, they'll be doing that to you. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. How about a, how about a second implication of this text in 1 Thessalonians 3 about standing fast in the Lord? Here it is. Standing fast in the Lord recognizes the sovereignty of God in and through our afflictions. I'll say it again. Standing fast in the Lord recognizes. Remember the key word, the key verb in the first outline point? It was to require the strength and encouragement of others. That's what standing fast in the Lord requires. Here, standing fast in the Lord recognizes the sovereignty of God in and through our afflictions. Look at verses 3 and 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is the reason why Paul says we sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in your faith. That, that's the first word in this English text of 1 Thessalonians 3.3, that, or for the purpose that, or so that, no one be moved, we could even say shaken, by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this, destined for afflictions. For when we were with you, verse 4, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. So, how do you take a, how do you take a first century book, like our Bibles, like our New Testaments, and particularly these New Testament letters, and how do you apply them to your life? Well, this is how you apply it. You can read what verses 3 and 4 say, and you can say to yourself, what does that mean to me? How does that apply to me? I, I know what it, what it meant and how it applied to the Thessalonians, but what about me? Well, turn it around and put a principle to it. Standing fast in the Lord recognizes the sovereign hand of God, divine sovereignty in and through the afflictions we experience at the hands of unbelievers. This is clearly what verses 3 and 4 say. Don't lose sight of the fact and in the context of Paul's words here, they have to do with suffering. The suffering of afflictions. Precisely because they were endeavoring to stand fast in the Lord. That's what occupied us in the vast bulk of last week's message. I spoke a great, great deal about suffering in the midst of our efforts to communicate the gospel of Christ. Uh, to be a witness to the world. And this was our exposition of verses 14 to 20 of chapter 2, as I said a moment ago. But I also want you to see that the Apostle Paul, once again, here in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 3, speak of afflictions produced by the preaching of the gospel, by the living of a valiant Christian life. Here's what he says, that no one be moved or shaken by these afflictions. Yes, he's encouraging those very Thessalonican believers. Of course he is. But he wants to encourage us also. That's what the Spirit of God does. When, when this enduring book, this 
relevant Word of God. People say, well, you know, the Bible, it's such an ancient book. It's, a, it's sort of a historical by-and-by piece of literature. No, it's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it goes right into the piercing of the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and it's able to discern the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. And in the 21st century, we need to stand fast in the Lord by recognizing that the sovereignty of God will bring by His divine providence certain afflictions into our life so that we could stand fast in the Lord. That's, that's clearly what's going on here. And in light of these verses, can you readily see now how all Christians, 1st century, 21st century, all Christians in between, must recognize that it is the sovereignty of God that brings these afflictions? You say, how does this text tell me that? Well, notice the language Paul uses here. Go back to verses 3 and 4. Notice that first phrase, that no one be moved or shaken, as I said, by these afflictions. That no one be moved, no one be shaken. He, he's, he's, he's telling you, don't be moved by this, don't be shaken by this, uh, uh, don't be surprised by this. That's what Peter says in First Peter again when he says, don't be surprised at these fiery trials among you. They're going to happen. You remember I told you last time that in Acts chapter 9, the very Lord Jesus himself said about Paul when he commissioned him, when he threw him down on the Damascus road, I will show him how much suffering he must do for my sake. Paul knew it was a part of his calling. And now he's telling the, the beleaguered Thessalonians, this is your calling. Notice what he says, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand, before the afflictions came, that we were to suffer affliction. We told you before it happened that it was going to happen. And we told you before it happened that it was going to happen to us. And now we're telling you that it's going to happen to you as well. And it did and it continues to do. He says, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. The obvious sense of the sovereignty of God is, is all over those verses. It's stated so clearly in verses 3 and 4. As Christians, whether the first or 21st century varieties or everybody else in between, we will suffer afflictions. Didn't we go over that last time? Remember I told you in John 16, Jesus said, you will have troubles, but take care, uh, take solace. I have overcome the world. John 16. Remember Acts 14.22, Paul and Barnabas, as they were going on their mission activities, preaching the gospel, and they said that all Christians, even what we're doing as we're suffering, will all suffer tribulations. All of us as we enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14.22. Remember 2 Timothy 3.12, if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. Remember in 1 Peter 2, as we read that last time, that Jesus said, that if you're going to be like me, and if I'm going to give you uh, an example to follow in my steps, you will suffer. That's one of the key themes of First Peter, suffering. Christians are going to suffer. 
And this text in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 3 and 4, tells us that it is by the destiny of God's sovereignty in bringing afflictions. So I'm simply telling you what the Bible says here, that we are and should anticipate, just like these Thessalonians, various afflictions precisely because the gospel of Christ divides the sheep and the goats, the true and the false, the righteous and the unrighteous, going to happen. And see, what you and I must do is recognize, that's our key verb here, to recognize the sovereignty of God in all our afflictions, and to then turn around and strengthen, establish, and exhort fellow believers about such sovereignty that God brings, including afflictions. Paul says, you know, you were, you were destined for this. We told you. It says that explicitly in verse 3, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. I mean, in the midst of our afflictions, we've already told you. This is God's will, it's God's path, it's God's sovereignty. So that you would know beforehand when it comes, so that you would not be moved or shaken by such afflictions. Because what might be the first response of people? They hear the gospel like these pagan Gentiles in Thessalonica, Greece, and they hear the gospel, they hear the gospel of Christ. Paul preaches, Timothy preaches, Silvanus preaches, And they hear this gospel, and they want to embrace it, and they do embrace it. And then Paul says, and oh, by the way, let me let you know, right off the bat, that you're now living in the midst of enemy territory. People in your own family, just like Jesus said, it's going to be father and mother and sister and brother. And perhaps at times you're going to have to choose because You're going to be walking the way of the cross. You're going to have to take up such a cross and follow Jesus. And there's going to be hostility and volatility. And you're going to have to understand that this is part of what it means to live the Christian life. You've got to recognize this. You've got to recognize the sovereignty of God in and through afflictions. And we covered that in great detail last time. This is is what it means, folks, to stand fast in the Lord. This is part and parcel of what it means. And there's a third one here. Notice in verse 5, Paul says, for this reason, this letting you know about divine sovereignty and bringing afflictions that we're destined for, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. That is through Timothy, of course. For fear. Here's what verse 5 means now for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you. That's the devil, of course. The tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. What's the, what's the implication point? What's the principle here? How do you take something that was written a couple of thousand years ago and apply it to now? Here it is. Standing fast in the Lord remembers... First is requires, then it recognizes, and now it remembers this standing fast in the Lord that satanic temptations are designed to destroy our faith. This is what what Paul is driving toward here in verse 5. 
For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, that is, I need to know about your condition, about your standing, about your perseverance. I sent Timothy to learn about your faith because I had a fear. And what was that fear? Fear that somehow the tempter, the very devil, uh, the uh, diabolical one had tempted you and our labor, our initial gospel preaching and your receptivity to it uh, would somehow have been in vain. That you jettisoned the faith, you chucked it off. He's very concerned. Paul was very confident now in the sovereignty of God. We've, we've, we've just heard about that, right? In verses 3 and 4. You yourselves know we're, we're destined for this. So he's not surprised by this. He's not caught off guard. He, of course, affirmed the sovereignty of God. He was confident that those who were persevering in the faith would be genuine disciples of Jesus. But please know that Paul also, even though he affirmed the sovereignty of God, Paul himself was not omniscient. He was not omniscient. He was a man like we are. He, he didn't possess divine omniscience. He didn't know everything. He didn't know exactly in the Thessalonian church those who were true possessors of salvation and those who were merely professors of salvation. He wasn't always aware of those who would be then goats but not sheep. He didn't know always those that would be false and not true. He didn't always know those would be unrighteous as over against righteous persons. And this dividing of those who were the false from the true, the unrighteous from the righteous, uh, the sheep from the, the goats from the sheep, these certain dividing markers, that's what he's talking about. I, I, I didn't want to labor over you and have you come up short of the grace of God to not be truly persevering in the faith. Paul realized very well that those who didn't realize or understand Satan's evil devices, that they could be tricked and possibly if they were false professors, even within the church, not only tricked, but they would then fall away, fall away from the faith. We've, we've seen some very, very terrible and emotionally heart-rending revelations by way of social media, some very high-profile persons who once were even preachers and pastors and, and very visible uh, personalities within the Christian church who have jettisoned the faith. They've, they've left. They've, they've been seduced by Satan. Which means, of course, don't get me wrong, that they were never Christians to begin with, but we're not omniscient ourselves. And so those who profess Christ, those who show up to the fellowship, those who are around for any length of time, they, they say they walk with us, they say they talk with us, the Christian message, the Christian life. We want to believe them. But there is this matter of Satan and his devices. And he's mentioned right here. Paul tells us about the devil's prowess in verse 16 of chapter 2. He's a most able foe, isn't he? Paul says in chapter 2, verse 16, Satan hindered us. Now, it doesn't say explicitly Satan there, but we know Satan is working because it says that the countrymen 
of the Gentiles, their own Gentile brothers and sisters, and then the Jews, the ones who actually killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. Uh, They drove Paul and his ministry uh, partners out. Uh, They displease God. They oppose all mankind. And when Paul wants to minister to these Thessalonians, it says that they were hindered from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So Satan actually is working through actual persons to thwart the gospel, thwart its effectiveness, hinder people from speaking to these Gentile persons in the Macedonian region and in the Achaean region so that they might be saved. Satan is plying his trade. He's he's trying to go through human beings to thwart the gospel. And he also just uses his his own devices as Satan himself, the devil, the evil one. And chapter 3 talks about him here in verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter, should even be here, tempter with a capital T, that the tempter that tempted you and our labor would be in, be in vain. Our labor would be of no effect. Uh, it didn't produce the ultimate perseverance of the saints. Listen, my friends, we have an arch enemy and he will stop at nothing to destroy our faith. Did I not read about him in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8? He's like this roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You look at Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 7, you see Satan's work there. Uh, You see the idea of the Holy Spirit directing Paul uh, through another area, even into going into the Macedonian region. Uh, Satan is trying to thwart all efforts. And it even says, by the way, in Romans chapter 16, right at the close of, of this great epistle of Paul to the Romans, in Romans chapter 16. Listen to this. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, Romans 16, 17, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they, they deceive the hearts of the naive. I mean, Paul knows that Satan can work through actual persons, not just demonic powers, not just through uh, demon workers, but human beings who are workers for Satan, even if sometimes they don't even know that. And then he says in verse 19, For your obedience is known to all, speaking of these Roman believers, so that I rejoice over you, But then he says this, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. So you have to be wise, educated, knowledgeable, experienced with that which is good and innocent. Innocent, that is staying away, not being knowledgeable, not having the experience of what is evil. And then he says in verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Yeah, we need to understand the grace of God in the midst of satanic onslaught. No wonder Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, 
I do not want you to be ignorant of Satan's schemes, his devices. Perhaps there are far too many Christians who are unaware, untrained about Satan's devices, his schemes. And no wonder Paul therefore says in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, I'm fearful that the tempter has tempted you and our labor is in vain. So what do you do? You have to remember that satanic temptation is all around us and it seeks to destroy our faith. But Paul wants them to know, I'm praying for you. I thank God for you. I'm sending Timothy to you to strengthen and establish and exhort you. And I'm trying to do what I can to see you remember these things so that you would understand that afflictions are a part of God's sovereign plan that actually keeps you on your toes. This is how you stand fast in the Lord, my friends. Fourth and finally. Fourth and finally. Standing fast in the Lord refreshes, that's our key verb, refreshes the souls of fellow believers who are comforted by our perseverance. Verses 6 to 8 of our text. Paul says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, that means Timothy has gone, we released him to come to you, he has spent time with you even at the risk of his own life, and now he's come all the way back to us, and he's told us about you, and he's brought us the good news of your faith and your love. And he's reported to us that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Aren't those such wonderful words, such pathos in Paul's pen? He says, for this reason, brothers, verse 7, in all our desires, excuse me, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. You see what's going on there? Paul sends Timothy because he cannot bear not hearing about the Thessalonians. And he's concerned about the fact that they may even have been labored over in the gospel work in vain, according to verse 5. But now Paul is so encouraged because Timothy comes back. He tells Paul and Silas about this good news of the Thessalonians' faith and of their love and how they've been seeking Paul's heart and face in his very presence among them, and that he's longing to be seen by them. And he says, and I long to see you. And I'm telling you, brothers, he says, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about this news, comforted about your growing faith, comforted about your love. Oh, my friends, standing fast in the Lord And the very fact that you're doing that, that you're persevering in the faith, that you've not compromised, that you've not apostatized from the faith, the very fact that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, and those who've labored over you in the Lord are not seeing your faith as a faith that is in vain, that it's a shipwrecked faith, that it's a faith that's not genuine. No, it's a faith that's real and it's growing and it's lively, even in the midst of distress distress and affliction. And what they're saying is of great comfort to Paul. 
the way they're living is of great comfort to Paul. Now, you have to, you have to recognize divine sovereignty. You really do. God is both sorrow in bringing the afflictions and the distress, but He's also sovereign in causing these believers, the true believers, to persevere in the faith and to have a growing faith and a growing love. This is how you stand fast in the Lord, my friends. And when you do, this fourth point tells us by way of a principle, by way of this this extended principle all the way to the 21st century of where you sit right now listening to this message. You can stand fast in the Lord. And when you do, those who've either led you to Christ or those who you are standing fast with in the Lord, even if they're not the ones who initially led you to Christ, you're encouraging other believers, you're being encouraged by them, and as you all stand fast together in the Lord, everybody's comforted. We're a team. We're under great pressure. This, uh, this idea of this kind of distress, affliction, uh, one of those words is thlipsis in the Greek, and it means pressure. It's a, a kind of uh, an under ground seething pressure to give up to give over to satan and his devices and this pressure is real and you have to recognize that the sovereignty of god brings such pressure even if he uses satan as a tool at times to bring this pressure upon the saints so that they come forth as gold this is why he says what he says you got to stand fast in the lord my friends and, and you can be comforted. Paul says about himself, in all our distress and affliction, what we keep doing as we continue to promote the gospel, we've heard about you and we've been so comforted about you through your faith. Isn't it great that the way you live your Christian life and the way you persevere in the faith can in and of itself be a tremendous encouragement to others? A, a, a tremendous comfort to their faith, helping to bolster their faith. And then, my friends, as we close that very last line of our text, verse 8, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Oh, my dear fellow believers, let, let that verse sink in. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Do you see how important it is for fellow believers who need their souls refreshed to know of your perseverance? To know that you are battling in the distresses and pressures and afflictions, whether they're brought by Satan and his minions, whether it's brought by human teachers who are trying to uh, pervasively destroy you by their false doctrine, you can persevere. Your souls can be refreshed. And of course, you, you can comfort them by what you're doing and how you're responding, and they can encourage you by what they're doing and how they're responding. 
And it's all summed up in this very phrase, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Is that not an other-centered statement of the Apostle Paul and his ministry partners? We live, he says. We're revived. We're encouraged. We're comforted if we know that you're standing fast in the Lord. Boy, what an other-centered man Paul was. The more he grew in Christ, the more he was sanctified by the Lord, the more his faith grew, the more his love was being forged through the fires of affliction and distress. Paul says, I live if I know you're standing in the Lord. I'm surviving. I'm encouraged. I'm comforted. I'm alive if I know this one thing. You are, in fact, standing fast in the Lord. What a, what a backdoor way of living. I mean, you and I may, may think uh, every day about ourselves, about how we're doing, about how we must persevere, about how, must, how much we must do to live vibrantly and dynamically and faithfully and valiantly the Christian life. Of course that's true. But think about it in this way, my friends. The way you live your Christian life is ultimately not just for yourself and not just for your own sanctification, but it is for the sanctification of others. You know, in the recent trials that I've had within my own family, the, the death of my mother, the death of my grandson, the death of my wife, the death of my sister, all within a four-year period, this, as others have encouraged me and written me notes and talked to me personally and called me on the phone and sent me texts and emails to say, I'm seeing your faith and how you're persevering and how you're responding to these very, very real trials in your life, and I'm encouraged, I'm comforted, and boy, does that encourage me. That encourages me greatly. So refresh one another, my dear friends, refresh one another. And as you do, remember Paul and his gospel partners, as he writes these words, they want to see what is required, strength and establishment of the faith of those to whom they've ministered to recognize the sovereignty of God in these satanic temptations, uh, the trials and afflictions, and to remember that Satan is all about destroying our faith and then refreshing our souls by knowing that others to whom we've had a relationship and perhaps we have seen them come to Christ through our gospel evangelization that they are standing fast in the Lord and that's encouraging us and comforting us to fulfill our need and desire to persevere in the faith. Oh, my friends, this is part and parcel of what it means to stand fast in the Lord. And I trust that is very well what you are doing. Let's pray together as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we know what is required and what is to be recognized and remembered and to be refreshed even as we attempt to persevere in the faith, to be standing fast in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know very well how hard it is, how much of a challenge it is to, to be what you are 
asking us to be, what you're commanding us to be. We want to be faithful. We want to be persevering. But we need the strength and the establishment and the exhortation of others. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we understand that there's a whole series of divine, sovereign providences where you will bring afflictions and trials, sometimes through Satan, sometimes through his minions, sometimes through others who are deceived themselves, and sometimes even by your own hands, so that we would see that such afflictions and such distresses, such suffering, actually strengthens our faith. We need to remember that. And we also need to clearly remember that this is, this is a satanic world and he will do everything to try to thwart our faith. And we remember his devices, his schemes, and we will not fall to them by God's grace and God's power. And Father, we need to be refreshed by the the comforting souls who are persevering, the people we love and the people we're serving with and the people we have been led to Christ by and the people that we're currently standing shoulder to shoulder with and have interlocked arms for ministry's sake. We, we are so comforted and refreshed by them and we want them to be refreshed by our perseverance of standing fast in the Lord Jesus. May this message be of great comfort to all of those who aspire to live godly in Christ Jesus. May it be an encouragement to us, this wonderful book of 1 Thessalonians, and particularly chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, so that we might continue to go back to it time and time and time again, so that we would see all of its riches and can apply it by way of the implications of our own Christian life, even here in the 21st century church. May you be glorified. May you honor our faithfulness by your grace and for your glory. And may we be a model and an example just like these Thessalonians so that the world would see that Jesus Christ is Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. God bless you.